0: Oh, happy day when miracles take place, and scientists control the human race, when we assume authority of human chromosomes.
1: You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a full panel, freelance writer Tom Chick.
0: Who wants a coffee from me today? <laughs>
1: freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hello,
0: and Doctor Bruce Garrick.
1: Hello, gamers.
0: <laughs> By so the b- way, for a minute I thought we were on the the uh, gay fans of Broadway musicals podcast. I thought I I dialed into the wrong podcast. Hey, I'm this, glad. Well,
2: any podcast with Troy. <laughs> yes, it's
0: going to be full of gay. But, uh, hold on, what was that theme song? Was that Gilbert? That wasn't Gilbert and Sullivan. That was, was that like not. That Rogers was Hammerstein. Actually, it was from Lil Abner. Good lord, a comic strip? They have music in comic strips? They had a musical.
1: (laughs) Uh, Lil Abner, I was talking uh, in IRC with people today until I mentioned Sadie Hawkins, and then that just clicked that song in my head for some reason. Uh, How are we all today? The song song, A song about
0: science and miracles? The song
1: was Oh Happy Day from Lil Abner, where a bunch of scientists are singing about how science can make everything better by Mm -hmm. perfecting mankind perfecting romance, perfecting everything, science can triumph over uh, the imperfections of humanity. And that is the theme of today's podcast, science and technology in strategy games. We're just going to uh, go off the
0: rails real fast. So
1: I'm sure we. it will. It always does with Bruce on the panel.
0: Uh, we started off the rails, though. We started with a gay Broadway musical, so <laughs> here you go. Are there games about Broadway musicals? There will be. Apparently, I'm sure Rainer Kinesia has done some auctioning game about musicals, I would imagine.
2: <laughs> that would be
0: great. Andrew Webber has licensed cats to be made into a game.
1: <laughs> and I am not kidding. Yes, no. you are. No, I'm not. You're totally kidding, Troy Gocello. None of s- buys that. Sincerely and BioWare is making it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> For all the cat people have romances with each other. Uh, so, uh, science is, of course, one of the cornerstones, or has become one of the cornerstones of... Of strategy gaming, science and research, and I think it would be interesting to talk about um, how science, first science is portrayed, whether the research mechanic actually makes sense and where it came from. Um, so, Tom, you've been doing this probably longer than anybody, uh, what's the first time you could actually remember the term science or research being used in a strategy game?
0: Oh, jeez, holy cats. Uh well, I mean, we're, we could sit here and talk about civilization the whole hour. I imagine we will probably do a lot of that. But before civilization, gosh, I don't know. We should ask someone who has uh, a, a longer-term memory, like Bruce. Uh, <laughs> would probably know, when before civilization did we start getting science in there? You know, okay, here you go. In Railroad Tycoon, you would get uh, better and better trains. Isn't that kind of science? That's more, I don't know. But yeah. you wouldn't research them. They just, you know, pop yeah. up. They restore Right, states, right. right. Yeah, I don't know. I can't get any earlier than Sib. Someone trump me. I'm sure you can do it.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean,
0: well, the the board game
1: Civilization predated Sid Meier's Civilization.
3: Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then I mean, you
1: can, okay, you can,
3: yeah, you can go anywhere you want. But um, yeah, I'm not. I I'm not. Uh, I just, I am not i can not think back back. But back then, I was playing a lot of war games. Um, which didn't really. There wasn't as much technology and science research. I mean, I think. I think the. I think civilization was the one of the first games that really, um, really developed the whole idea of science and research, opening up completely different avenues of gameplay. Which, um, but I mean, I have a whole problem with the whole way science is portrayed in games, anyway. So we can get to that at some
2: point.
1: Did I, Rob? Sorry. You're 12, but you probably have read something about science.
0: Rob has science class in junior high. Like, Rob, what did you learn in science period today?
2: Um, Well, I mean, when I I had science class, um, I spent most of my time in the back of the classroom uh, designing battle mechs. Um, So, I mean, I didn't actually internalize much. Um, But a lot of my friends are scientists. They can do math and all of that. I'm in awe of them. That that sounds vaguely racist, like some of your, some of my best friends are
0: scientists.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was, actually, I was waiting for him to say you people. <laughs> <laughs> you people uh, have the best lab coats. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think that we're all very comfortable making fun of science, so we just want to establish that.
0: Yes. Um, well, we, we did our podcast on religion, so this is like the equal time podcast for, for yes, science. This
3: is fair and balanced.
0: Exactly. Uh, and, of course, science is the opposite of religion, as anyone knows.
3: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. So, I mean...
0: So just, let me I throw, wanna, go, go ahead, Bruce. What's your... Com- s- go ahead. I just
3: want to throw this out there and we can just talk about it. Because I think, I mean, when... So for the, for the readers or listeners or the readers of the soon-to-be upcoming uh, transcribed uh, uh, transcripts of the podcast that Troy is going to hand-type and then distribute to the web to people who don't like to listen to the podcast. <laughs>
1: um, Never going to happen.
3: So uh, Troy sent out an email earlier um, when he was talking about this, and one of the things I think it said, and I haven't even looked up the email again to, for uh, reference, so this may be off, but something about you know what design decisions does it open up, and what does you know how does it constrain you? And uh, I think it, it's very clear how that technology research sort of allows players to develop strategies, and we won't go into that. But the thing that really bothers me about science research, and it also bothers me about the uh, government stuff that we were talking about the other week. Was the fact that everything is already known, right? So if I play Alpha Centauri, I know what I'm researching, right? I can I can get I can write a strategy guide about the game and know, you know, 200 turns into the game what I'm going to have. And in the same way, the the, the government stuff bothered me because um, <clears throat> the th- the problem I really have is that. Everything is already known to the player, right? Right. It's not. It's a problem I have, but I mean, it's 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 uh, for a competitive game that's fine. But uh, like when we were talking about government the other time, you can make decisions about you know labor and about taxes and about you know feudalism versus uh, you know democracy versus fascism, and your your results are already all known if you. You know, if you're some kind of crystal meth tweaker and you, you know, tweak a slider three notches to the left, then you know what the result's going to be. You can already plan all that stuff out. So, all of your results are already known. Where, as you know, with actual research, it's not really clear what you're going to get. And you know, you may be researching uh, space travel, but you actually end up getting really cool carbon fiber frames for you know road bikes. Or tang. Yes, exactly. Yes, tang. Orange tang. I forgot about that. And those things, and the stuff that you squeeze out of the little, like, uh, little tubes, like the astronaut food. And Velcro. Yeah, see? All that stuff. So, well, th- that's the problem that I have that, that uh, you know, we can't even figure out whether, uh, you know, whether healthcare reform is going to be bad or terrible. And uh, <laughs> it, if it were in a game, you'd already know everything that was going to happen once you enacted whatever, you know, thing that you had, so...
0: Rob, can you clue Bruce into the exception to that rule that he's talking about? Because I think I know what you're going to want to say.
2: The, the exception to the rule that we always know what we're going to get. Exactly.
0: Were you going to bring up blind research in Master Variant too?
2: I absolutely was not. Oh, rats! All right, <laughs> <laughs> I was.
1: <laughs>
2: well, Go ahead. I, was, I was going to add another objection to the way games often handle science. Well, I, I mean, one, one thing that bothers me, and yeah, that, that's one thing's. Um, That My partner and I were talking about this morning, actually, is that games don't model scientific dead ends. For instance, you never go astray um, and wind up with a new technology or wind up with wasted time, basically. Um, But the other thing is games tend to have a very simple scientific discovery mechanic uh, where basically science pretty much runs on a farm system, right? You build a research laboratory. It produces X amount of science. Um... And you put in resources to that, and you get discoveries out of that. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it, it's it's a very simple way of modeling science that I I think maybe be oversimplifies it and maybe misses some interesting opportunities um, for ways of representing scientific discovery.
0: Well, now you say oversimplifies it, and I, I agree in that if you were to actually model how science really worked, uh, that's not necessarily going to make good gameplay. So I, it's certainly a simplification, and I think it's there for for good reason. Uh, in that it's it's the elegant sieve model that we were given, and it works fairly well. It's a great way to gate gameplay, uh, to slowly introduce new elements, uh, and it's it also feeds into a crucial part of video games, and that's that reward system. Right, you know that somewhere down the line, you know, and you can see exactly when it's going to happen. You're going to get triremes, and then you're going to get literature, and then you're going to get machine guns. Uh, so so it is an oversimplification, but I think it serves a great gameplay purpose. But you could have uh, the same kind of
3: reward system in, in the sense of... Uh, I mean, you can do the same thing, though, with, with uh, the reward... I mean, I agree with what you said, Tom, but I, I think that uh, the reward system you could just as easily do with the kind of, uh, you know, blind rewards you get in, you know, role-playing games where you open a chest and you have, you know, a plus-five sword of killing that guy. So... Um, that, the, the gating mechanism, I think that's what I was alluding to earlier, With you know, you can obviously see what, what that opens up for, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, strategy game design, um, you know, giving players, you know, incremental levels of, of, uh, uh, you know, units or whatever to work with, Uh, um, but, I mean, even, even if you can see, um, you know, what you're going to get, um, and, and the blind the blind research in, in Master of Orion, as I recall, I mean you, you still there was a, still a finite number of things you could get,
0: right? Yes. Well it was within the tech tree, but right. I mean right. you always knew where you were on the tech tree and there was a, there were a limited number of branches you could move down. So right. you weren't going to jump ahead and magically like have a Eureka moment and discover right. I don't know, black well, hole right. generators.
2: You can do that now for Centauri too. Um, right, where you could if you in the options you could turn it so that you didn't get the classic Civ menu of text to research. Ah, right, right, you, right. you researched one of like four broad areas. And the thing is that worked really well the first couple times you played the game, right? Where you go in naively not knowing what any of these future technologies are going to be. Um, but you know, once you played Alpha Centauri a little bit, you got a pretty good handle on what that tech tree looked like and the black boxing, you know, sort of stopped working. Right. There was uh, one. Go ahead, Go ahead, Bruce.
3: No, that's fine. I, I was just going to say that the black, black boxing obviously only works with uh, with a game that uh, you know you don't really know anything about. And you, anytime you play a game multiple times, you're going to sort of.
0: Well, I, I, here was the uh, Troy. You and I fiddled with oh uh, you know, Armada twenty one forty two. What was that? Twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, played Bob Smith. Oh. Where would I get 2142? Yeah, Uh, I remember one of the cool things he did in that that remake of that game he recently made was it had a conventional research structure where you could pick what you're going to research, and depending on what labs you built, that was how you leaned towards a specific type of research, you know, weapons or life support or engines. But one of the labs you could build were Skunk Works. And Skunk Works would, if if I'm not mistaken, Troy, maybe you can correct me, it costs less to buy a tech, but you're getting a random tech. Right. So it was like it was like a compromise between the traditional model and if you wanted to pay less but not be certain what you were getting, you could use your Skunkworks Labs. Uh, and I really like that as a, as a as a sort of halfway point between the problems with blind research and the predetermined nature of of uh, just picking what tech you want and basically buying it.
3: And they would eventually make Jane's flight simulator.
0: <laughs> oh, those were the days. So sad. Uh, I think an, another thing you can do to to reflect the uncertainty of science uh, are, uh, are are die rolls. Like someone explained to me, because I'm only vaguely remembering this. How did tech work in Axis and Allies? Like, didn't you pay for it, and you just rolled dice, and maybe you would get bombers if you got box cars, but you would probably just get some stupid plus one infantry rifle. Who here remembers Axis now as the board game, well enough, too? Well,
2: actually, I, I remember that in the game I played, and we played quite a bit, uh, the house rule was we pretty much scrapped the research tree. Because <laughs> um, everyone hated it. And once uh, strategic bombers were introduced, the whole thing went to hell in a handbasket.
0: But wasn't that the idea, though, that you would just buy research, but you wouldn't know what you were getting, and that would be a die roll? I mean, also, that very similar to blind research, I guess.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of vaguely remember that. I have a better memory of research in the game Gamma World, uh, which you had, uh, like you would so get... an RPG. Well, it, technically, probably. It's more of a simulation of what things would have been like if giant rabbits had, you know, survived a nuclear war. But um, <laughs> it's... Uh, basically, what what you had was every time you found something, you, uh, you had to figure out if... You, you could try to figure out how it worked, and so you'd roll dice, and you would go down this little sort of, you know, decision tree, and you uh, you could either end up figuring out how it worked, breaking the thing, or basically having the thing blow you up, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And uh, um, I think that that kind of thing would be great in, um, in games. And, and, Rob, you mentioned the part about, you know... Uh, Dead ends in research, and uh, anybody who has a lot of free time to read books should definitely read Thomas Powers' uh, book Heisenberg's War. It talks about yep. the uh, German nuclear bomb effort, um, and uh, Powers has done a lot of stuff on uh, on uh, uh, the German nuclear research. But um, uh, the the bottom line is that they spent all this time with you know Heisenberg and a lot of physicists, and they basically got nowhere and they were even they, where they were going wasn't going to work anyway which is what the the uh, Los Alamos scientists kind of decided after after kind of reviewing all the where they had gotten and Heisenberg was completely stunned that the Americans had been able to dominate uh, uh, detonate a nuclear bomb so i think that the problem with doing that in a game is that imagine having a whole you know research arm that you spend half the game sort of building up and and you know, paying for with whatever resources the game uses to pay for research, and then it not only goes nowhere, it goes somewhere where you can't get out of it, and it's, you know, it, it, it gains nothing.
2: And well, hang on, just, you know, to, to go off that example, um, I, I think... You know, Tom, I hear what you were saying about how, you know, civilization gave us this model for how science should be handled. And it's, you know, there are good gameplay reasons for it, and it's a good model, and I agree with all that. But my issue with it is that it's it's too decoupled from all these other aspects of the game. I mean, if you're going to consider something like the German, you know, nuclear weapon program, I mean, why, why does that program fail and the Americans are able to produce a bomb? Well, one reason would be, you know, other policies outside the scientific arena uh, crippled Germany's ability to match the collaborative efforts among, uh, you know, the Americans and the British and the shared knowledge. Um, you're pretty much suddenly isolated from the mainstream of nuclear research. Um, and in strategy games, research is always sort of happening in this idyllic little vacuum, right, where your science mm-hmm. farms just keep mm-hmm. producing knowledge and it's isolated from every, like, most every other aspect of the game.
0: Well, can't I can't go that, there with you, Rob. I mean, no, the problem with yeah, Germany in World War II, they just didn't have their, their science slider set to the right point.
1: Well, so, I mean, I, in all the civs, you can have civics that will affect how your research is produced. Uh, and in the original civilization, your government type would determine how quickly uh, your science uh, would progress. So it wasn't... Or
0: EU3, like EU Troy, is another good example. In EU3, you have all these modifiers to specific areas of research based on your ministers and your government types. and uh, I mean, I get what you're saying, Rob, that it's a self-contained, neat little package, but I think a lot of games do a really good job of integrating that into all of the game systems. Um,
3: you could overcome that anyway, though, right? I mean, if you had, you know, minus yeah. three from one thing and minus two from another thing and minus four from something else and then plus five bazillion because you just put all your stuff into research, then, I mean... There's, there's always some way to break that kind of mechanic, right?
1: Whether well, it's breaking or it's just accepting different trade-offs, because very rarely is it just a research you'll be affecting when you change. But it, it.
3: wouldn't be historically accurate, is what
1: I'm And, for about. example, in a, to use Ropogunov for as an example, if you go narrow-minded, I mean, that means your science goes right. more slowly, but your country becomes more stable much more quickly. You get missionaries much more quickly. It's a trade-off between what but you what want to All
2: happen? your narrow-minded people are really, really smart. Well, hang on. Let me, let me ask you guys a question. Um, do you think science tends to be overpowered in games? I mean, just I don't know if this is just the way mm-hmm. I play or whether it's something that's you know, actually in these games, but I rarely ever found an incentive for not going down the route that, maximize my scientific output. In most strategy games, I find it's always advantageous to unlock the newest techs as quickly as possible, and I rarely ever made any choices that would hobble my ability to generate those discoveries.
3: Well, that's because I think that's the the things that the games simulate, right? Games simulate blowing up that guy, right? And I think in, in warfare, I mean, tech very often has, you know, it takes it a very a decisive factor. So I think it would be, uh, you know, it would be a different story if, you know, people were, uh, you know, if, if games were about, you know, getting the best possible night's sleep that you could possibly get, right? So even the, even then, you know, <laughs> be
1: the worst game ever.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, but, the, but you know, the, the point is that if you have, you know, if you have a, you know, Panzer IV, and somebody else has some kind of, like, you know, French, you know, World War One tank, then, you know, obviously, the, the, the game's over before you start, so, yeah, I think that that's just, that's just an accurate simulation, I mean, if, if uh, you know, if you research an atomic bomb in a World War Two game, and everybody else doesn't have it, then you kind of win, so.
0: I, I think that, we'll. I- I, I, I mean, it, Rob's point, I think, has more to do with how a particular game is designed, the, the particular balance of a game. And it's something that we miss a lot if you play a single-player game and if you're not challenging yourself with the AI level that you're playing on. For instance, somebody who jumps into Civ 4 without necessarily understanding the systems and who puts it on a non-threatening AI level, which I think is how a lot of new people play Civ, is going to win the game by out-teching everyone else. It's the, the easiest, most non-confrontational way to progress your sieve. Uh, however, if you're playing at a tougher difficulty level, or if you're playing multiplayer, it's a lot more like an RTS, where there's a, a rush-boom-turtle balance going, uh, and you know science is part of the, the boom aspect of that paper-rock-scissors balance. But
3: is that uh, just racist against scientists, then?
0: Scientists get trumped by uh, what is it? Rush. If you rush a science guy, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I, I think it, it totally depends on the, the game, Rob. I agree that some games, depending on how people play them, might feel like okay, I'm just researching my way to victory. I mean, the overwhelming majority of Civ victories has got to be building a spaceship, yeah, isn't that yeah. What people's experience? Yeah, uh, because but I think to that's spend just time
3: blowing everybody up. I mean, it just takes forever.
0: You say it takes forever, but yeah, yeah. you know what, Bruce, you're right. It takes forever and that it, it requires a lot more, and this is often a dirty word, so I hesitate to use it, but there's no other word for it. It requires a lot more micromanagement. Yeah. Uh, you have to really want to get in there and push around little armies and stuff. Uh, and that, yeah, you're right. That always takes more time, but that's a viable way to play Civ. Uh, I think Civ is very well balanced once you get to harder difficulty levels where it doesn't have to be a game about science. And, and here's another one that reminded me of, in Rise of Nations, you can successfully fight a war against somebody who's teched up an age above your units. I mean, you can see World War One units fighting World War Two units, and they can still prevail with enough economic heft behind them. Yeah. Uh, well, at, true, at first... Right? At first, when you're playing Rise of Nations, and you think, oh, he's got, like, panzers, and I'm in these little World War One French tanks, I'm going to lose. You know, my biplanes can never hold out. But Rise of Nations wasn't quite as extreme about this idea of once you've teched up, you're automatically going to win in, in any match. Uh, okay, I, remember well, I, I don't know it. if
3: you remember this, but also in Civilization, uh, cavemen can uh, destroy battleships.
0: No, only Phalanxes, I believe.
3: It's happened before. I, know it's I, don't, I
0: don't think a caveman can destroy that. No, it was, it was yeah, always the phalanx. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's essentially a
3: caveman. Whatever. That that's <laughs> thing. That thing. That's, just, you know, that's okay. racist
0: against phalanxes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I? So, so Bruce earlier mentioned that there there are no games that, that really show you dead ends in science, and and to just demonstrate that. On this podcast, you really can't make any statement without <laughs> someone eventually thinking up an exception to that statement. Uh, I remember, and I have—I uh, remember a game. I love the way that this game did science that did indeed model serious, like game-crippling dead ends in science. You could hobble yourself by chasing science. Unfortunately, it's a board game, so th- there was a game. Uh, called- I know, I know, it just, it just I know. I'm going to call you this... I here barely hear you, Bruce. That's ridiculous. You can't do that. I know. I'm going to call this pulling a Bruce. Uh, so in the board game Supremacy, you could research nukes and, later, uh, and L-Stars, which were, I think, the counter to nukes. They were like laser satellites or whatever. And it involved, if I recall correctly, a, a shuffled deck of cards, and you turn one card over at a time, mm-hmm. and you're looking for somewhere in that deck there's a nuke card. And once you get that, you've got nukes, and you're Mr. Badass, and you can nuke the other players. But if I, I think it costs a certain amount of money to turn over each card. So it's a gambling game about how far you're willing to push it and how much money you have to push far enough into that deck to hopefully get that nuke card. And if you didn't get it, you were out the money. Uh, so I remember that being very risky, because you could absolutely squander all your resources, and suddenly you've got nothing left, and you didn't get anything out of it. Big old science the dead card? in there. Where, where's the new card? It's shuffled in the deck. It's probably the card there's right after you... There's a dead you... end.
3: You just didn't get there. there. Tom, there's a difference. Like, imagine this.
0: Imagine you... Da- Wait, why are you even... The, yeah, the card just didn't come sense. up. Just because it's in there. It's, in there. it's a dead it's end. You just spent oh, no, 50 space awful, bucks you know? on science, and what do you have to show for it? It's Nothing. It's a dead end. Talking.
3: Imagine you're driving your Jeep down the road. Okay, now, there are two, there's the same road, right? One, the road has... You know, a dead end, and you get to the end of the road, and you can't go any further. The other one, you're driving down some road, and you run out of gas. That's the difference.
0: I, I have no idea what you're on about, but but yes, I understand the difference between literal dead ends and through streets. Uh, but as far as game mechanics, a dead end where you've spent the resources and you have nothing to show for That's it. I mean, That's any strategy a dead game right? is about it's not a any end. You're any strategy dead game. Dead end rock. That's what you're thinking of. Any strategy game is about converting resources into some sort of competitive power. Uh, and I'm sure someone can think of an exception for that. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But this is where you're spending the resources and you're not getting the competitive power in return. That's like a wasted scientific effort. Uh, now, if that's not a dead end, we can come up with another word for it. Uh, but I think that's an example of what you were talking about before.
3: I, I don't believe you. I, I, think it's, I, think it, I think that, no.
0: We could take, we could take a vote. Not a democracy?
3: That, that's called
2: that's called tyranny of the majority, by the way.
0: Okay, then I'll just filibuster. Okay, wait a second.
2: I, w- I want to go back to argue that uh, even stuff like military conquest uh, in Civ, and God, God help us, we're going to keep coming back to Civ. I just know it. Um, I, I would say even even that is still a victory for science and technology uh, because I've never had a conquest victory where I didn't also enjoy a pretty commanding lead um, in technology that allowed me to conquer the world. I mean, I'm not sure it's really feasible if you're playing on a level playing field. Um, oh, I think
3: that was didn't Tom just say? I, th- I thought that we discussed that. I thought Tom's point was that yes, that's absolutely true, except for in Rise of Nations.
0: Well, I think it, it's a matter of I think I think Rob, what what you're getting at here? It's time for you to crank up the difficulty, at the AI level in Civ a notch. I think you're playing at too low a level, Rob. <laughs> But actually you are right though. I mean it, to be fair, the way CIV works is it tends to snowball. No matter how you're starting to get a victory, whether it's diplomatic or military, it, it, there's going to be a, a snowballing at the end in most cases and part of that snowballing will mean you've got extra resources to do a lot of research and to out-tech the other guy. I mean that's kind of the objective of a rush early on. Uh, it, it's early you push a military conquest. To get more cities than the other guy, and to, to outproduce them, and part of that outproduction is definitely reflected in tech. Um, but I don't think Rob it points to Civ as a game where that necessarily involves the hegemony of technology as a winning uh, gameplay element. Does that sort of make sense?
2: No, it, it does. I guess I'm just thinking like from the perspective of you know what's the most rational thing to do as I'm playing. Um, I mean, theocracy, for instance, is never a civic I've even, you know, really bothered with, except you know, in a high, when I'm feeling experimental, because rationally I'm just I'm always going to gravitate towards, um, you know, force multipliers that benefit my research, uh, because I always find that generates the highest payoff over the long haul, um, and and that's that's what sort of what I was getting at. Is, is science overpowered? Is that I just find most strategy games really reward. Um, you know, the, the person who goes for that, you know, lead in technology um, and sort of eschews any strategies that could interfere with that.
0: Do you know who disagrees with you, Rob? Who? S- Sister Miriam. <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh,
2: God. You've no, even- oh, always lurked in the data links. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Can we can we just have a link at the bottom of this podcast to the thing that to the Sister Miriam uh, like uh, love letter that Tom wrote?
0: on I don't know what you're talking about. I don't James know what you're talking about. Yeah, we. Nobody knows what you're you about. wrote a love letter to Sister
1: Miriam. Am I forgetting <laughs> yes, something? Did.
0: Yes. Oh, did. Come
1: on. Yes. I mean, everyone loves a redhead, but still.
3: Oh yeah, we'll find it somehow. It's got to be in the way. Back.
1: <laughs> oh, if we, if we'll
0: find it. Yeah, we'll find it.
1: Give some idea what you're talking about? And I'm sure we can dig it up.
0: Oh, yeah. Here's my bigger problem with uh, the tech in as, as it is in Civ four, and this is also the case in Europa Universalis three, and I understand why they do this, and I kind of wish they wouldn't, uh, is this idea of, because a lot of times science is used to gate the gameplay mechanics, you, know, you fold right. in new gameplay mechanics as you research things, uh, it's going to be blatantly unfair if someone starts to run away with a scientific lead. Uh, so one of the things they do is they rubber band scientific research. E3 and Civ are both very open about this. The cost of researching a a technology in Civ, the number of flasks it takes, is based on the number of people in the world who have that technology. And it's the same thing with EU3. As your neighbors learn technologies, your te- it becomes cheaper for you to research them. So the end result, it's like a racing game where the guy in last place gets to go a little faster and the guy in first place has to go slower, and therefore all the cars are compressed together and it's a little bit more exciting. I kind of right. don't like that, that, that strategy games feel the need to do that.
3: Imperialism, um, I think Imperialism 2 does the same thing. But here's the thing. So what about games that, uh, that have a specific sort of like... Uh, block the science by having some kind of church that makes researching, uh, you know, some kind of sin.
0: What, what right. game is this? I want to play this game. What is this?
3: I want to play game, too. Emperor of the Fading Suns.
0: Oh, so nice.
3: Yeah, see? So that's perfect, because you can research texts that are advantageous, but the church might stop you and excommunicate you.
0: So how did that work? Like if you researched certain, like if you were friendly to not the mutants, whoever those barbarian guys were, like from the uh-huh. edge of the galaxy, like if you researched certain things, how do yeah, you? Yeah, there
3: were certain texts. There were certain texts that you that that if you uh, if you researched those texts, then uh, then the uh, the Holy Inquisitors would come after
0: you. That was freaking so, awesome. Now, what, was it, could the Church determine? Like, could it de- could it denounce specific texts as heretical, yes. or was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So a, a similar thing, Bruce, is in, in uh, Stardock's Gal Civ games, couldn't you, and this might have been in Master of Orion, I'm pretty sure it's in Gal couldn't you pass like the equivalent of UN uh, resolutions saying nobody can have this tech? Like it was a Galactic yeah. Star Council resolution yeah. or whatever, uh, yeah. outlawing, uh, for instance, germ warfare, I, I think. Uh, that, that's very similar to the church thing you're talking about from... Uh, I, like, I like the
3: Space folk better.
0: You oh, yeah, well, yes. Space Popes are awesome, yeah.
1: Well,
3: let's all, all hail Space
1: Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so what about science done poorly? The game that just completely mangled it uh, beyond the issues of, you know, rubber banding, which I think, you know, has, to go back to rubber banding, I think there's some, you know, historical utility. I mean, some, that's the way it actually was, you know. Science was, if it was disseminated, it would disseminate pretty fast um, in some locations. Uh, but what about games that just don't get it, uh, that mangle research? It's just so a I such a basic mechanic that it's hard to screw up.
3: How about your favorite board game, Pandemic?
1: Oh, Pandemic. Why do yeah. you say Pandemic?
3: Well, because you can never defeat the virus. And that's not <laughs> realistic.
1: It's not? Have we defeated Swine Flu? I don't
2: think so. Uh, yes, of course.
1: We beat polio. Done. Yeah, we're
2: done. Wait, we defeated so, uh, swine flu with those vaccines that will give you autism. Um, that's, yeah. that's, no cure. <laughs> that's no cure to me. Here
0: we go. Thank you, Jenny McCarthy. Uh, that's, that's a good question, Troy. What games have bungled science? Uh, such a, we've had the mechanics for such a long
1: time, and like you say, I mean, Civ has pretty much set the template. Uh, it's a template now just so basic. Um, that few games are experimenting with that are taking the risks that will lead to colossal failures.
0: I can think of one game that did it wrong and then did it right. The Imperialism games? No, I can't really mention it because it's not a strategy game and you guys are going to roll your eyes if I talk about it, so we should probably move on. (laughs) You can't just leave that hanging out there. Either. I know. Duh. Hello. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Here, This, by the way, now you guys are going to roll your eyes. There are strategic elements to this game. I'm just going to say that up front. Uh, <sighs> this game bases science, and this is realistic, as Bruce can attest, on the concept of observation. The idea is that the more you observe something, the more you learn about it, and therefore the more efficient you are at, at dealing with it, understanding it. Uh, So in... in, Diego. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Good Lord. Uh, In uh, in Bioshock, you get a camera, and you can take pictures of enemies that you're fighting. And as you do that, over the course of the game, it'll every now and then unlock a bonus against that particular type of enemy. But the thing is, it wasn't clear when you were going to get the bonus or what the bonus was going to be or... If, there, there was no clear way to see what you'd researched and what you hadn't, and plus it was a hassle to go to the camera. So there wasn't much incentive to take pictures of bad guys. But that was the idea that if you took the pictures, you would learn more about them and you'd get a bonus against them. Uh, what BioShock Two does is it gives you, and this is the opposite of blind research. But it gives you when you when you take pictures of something, you turn on a little movie camera, and as you're fighting something, you're racking up basically research points. Mm-hmm. And you get more research points if you interact with the thing in different ways. And in the course of, in, in terms of Bioshock's gameplay, that involves shooting it with different kinds of guns or using different powers against it. Uh, and if you use a variety of guns and powers, you get more points. If you're just doing headshots with the shotgun or whatever, you get fewer points. So these points, after the film has run out of your camera, and that's one of the gameplay mechanics, too, is how much film you have, these points rack up for that category of enemy. And you can go to a separate screen that lists all the enemy categories that you've seen, and it shows you how much research you're building up on a bar. And there are four thresholds on that bar, and each time you hit one, it tells you what you're going to get. And some of them are bonuses against that creature, some of them are global bonuses, some of them unlock new powers. But it plays on this idea that science is observation, Uh, and I, I really like how they... Addressed the fact that it was kind of a cool idea in the first one that wasn't very well fleshed out. I really like how they address that in Bioshock 2. Well,
2: Let me, oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to. I, I have not played this game yet. It's in. It's in my stack. But isn't that at least somewhat how it works in Hearts of Iron 3? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Wait a minute.
0: Oh, oh, the way that if you use well, that has like practical research and theoretical right. research. They're they're divided into two separate. Uh, tracks of advancement, sort of, yeah, yeah. So well, you uh, have I've, to see something in action to really learn it well. Yeah,
2: yeah. My my vague, my vague sort of understanding was that basically you didn't make as much progress down the military, you know, applied military technology if you weren't actually fighting the war.
1: Right. You yeah. You have if you built tanks and used tanks, that would speed up your tank research because you're seeing how tanks work.
0: Great, thanks, thanks for thanks for taking us away. I wanted to talk about Bioshock Two for the rest of the hour. Now we've gone right back to the strategy games. What kind of podcast is this? <laughs> yeah, really, that's a, that's a good point, Rob. I loved what they did there uh, in Hearts of Iron Three.
3: But I want to I want to also make a point about uh, your your sciences observation. Isn't the best example of that the uh, XCOM or the XCOM series? At least the first yeah. couple XCOMs?
0: You had to like get something and study it and put it in yeah. your lab and then it's you would lock it and you could use it. Yep. Yeah. Right.
3: So it's totally all, you know, it's it's all predetermined, right? I mean, the aliens have stuff, you just have to figure out what the aliens have. Yeah. But that's kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of but and now that we've talked about hearts, hearts of iron 3 and opened that uh, that uh,
1: uh, that kettle of anguish, yes.
3: So I just want to I just want to make it clear to uh, all of the listeners that I do read comments on the uh, on the uh, three moves ahead uh, posts, and I do refute them on on uh, on air. And so Parcival made a great comment, and uh, I want to. He says that. Uh, let me pull it up here. I have to take issue with Bruce's contentions that small inf- infantry, small arms were neither the focus of intense research, or that there was no targeted malicious small arm research. And he makes. The examples of the uh, specifically, I want to comment on the example of the FG42, which was a German light machine gun, basically. Um, and here's the deal, and here's exactly what I think is wrong with uh, with research
1: in. three. Um, uh, uh, that
3: game exactly, which is that here's the problem: if you research a certain weapon for your paratroops, or research a certain weapon for you know your infantry, that's the that's the uh, arm that's going to be used for that specific uh, specific type of unit. But it doesn't carry over. And the whole uh, example... Like, there goes the 88. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. Which means that, you know, uh, there's a, actually a great comment in uh, Corelli Barnett's Desert Generals about how the British didn't use uh, their uh, anti-aircraft guns as... Uh, as anti-tank guns because they were British, so they just didn't know any better. The Germans basically uh, used them for everything, and, and uh, the FG-42 was basically used by all arms of, uh, you know, it basically is, as many of those things as they could make got used, right? It was officially developed as a, as a Luftwaffe, um, uh, you know, paratroop uh, machine gun, but it was became ubiquitous. So... There's no point, as far as I'm concerned, in researching individual, you know, militia arms versus paratroop arms versus infantry small arms because they're going to get disseminated in the same way. There's not a whole lot of sense in uh, researching these individual things uh, because once uh, once you develop something, you're going to use it as much as as you know, much as practical. And Tom's comment about rubber banding, um, I think, has the rubber banding actually has a, a, a historical basis which is that once you start fighting a war your enemies kind of going to get the idea if you have better tactics eventually they're going to figure that out and that happened on the russian front where uh you know the germans were you know certainly tactically superior in the first year or two of the war but as the war went on uh the, the Soviets became very adept uh, in their both their uh, infantry tactics and their armor tactics, basically learning from the Germans. So you can't hide stuff forever, and you're not going to have this tech advantage forever because people just learn from what you're doing. I mean, if you're, uh, um, you know, if you're really adept at combined arms, eventually you're, the people that you're using to, to uh, using that on are going to learn what you're doing, and they're going to copy you if it's effective. So. I think that rubber banding is uh, is a uh, is a legitimate game mechanic, and I also think that this sort of very uh, individualized tweaker kind of uh, uh, game model is. I I think it's not. I mean, I don't know if it's good design or bad design because if people enjoy it, then it must be good game design. But it's not historically accurate. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Um, One game I do want to talk about before we go is a game that I think promised to be more scientific than it actually was and ended up being, you know, at least some of this, had some of this observation stuff going on, uh, but wasn't really the hard science we were kind of promised, and that is Spore. Is that I mean, att- Yeah, you're going you're to have a strategy game? What's that? Yeah, Spore is a strategy I mean, Spore is, and it has some science to it, it's, it's observation, as, you know, how well does your creature do. But one of the big promises of the game that's never quite fulfilled was that, you know, this would be kind of like... You know, sim evolution—the uh, idea that you would see your carrier creature uh, surviving through different environments and doing different things uh, based on competition—and that's really not what happened in
0: the final product.
1: Um, so, do we still consider Spore to be a scientific
0: game? You'd have, yeah, you'd have to make the case, which I'm not sure even EA really made. that they're like, Are you saying that it's supposed to be about evolution or well, that was kind supposed of supposed to be promoted. scientific research in it?
1: It was kind of promoted. It's not just evolution, but, you know, studying, stu- anyway, studying evolution. How does your creature survive? Where does your creature thrive? What condition does it work best in? And a lot of that stuff was very early PR, and by the end, they were pretty much selling it as This fun little creature, creator, more than actually anything else. There's kind of a lost promise there, I think, the idea that you could actually use a game to model scientific principles and not just have it as, not just have science as something you pursue through
0: the traditional way science is modeled. Well, yeah, I want to play Troy the game that you are talking about. <laughs> I yeah. like the idea of that one, right. and it does remind me who who here because I don't think I ever played it, but I remember maybe wanting to play it, yeah. and certainly in my memory, I think this must have been great, uh, and my cat's really happy with it too. Uh, what about Sim Earth? Didn't Sim Earth do some cool things like with kind of what you are yeah. describing? You thought yeah. Spore would be Troy?
1: Yeah, Sim Earth. Had there was kind of a Sim Earth was really a computerized textbook. It was a terrible game. Uh, very. Poorly laid out and almost too complicated, but it did have, you know, the issues of how does global warming work, uh, how does environment, how do environmental pressures affect mutation rates, and all this, you know, really fun, hard science stuff in a very poor and intimidating package. And which
3: is, has no scientific
1: basis, thank you. Which has no, what has no scientific basis?
3: Well, um, I have a
1: e- evolution? Evolution?
3: No, the your uh, global warming. Unless you're uh, you're talking about uh, World Wildlife Fund uh, uh, brochures.
1: You're such a bad scientist. All of your scientific all your scientific peers believe in global warming.
3: Yeah. They, oh, do they really? Not. Not. That's. You know what? <laughs> okay, let's have a separate
2: podcast about that.
1: About global warming and strategy games.
2: Just what everyone what? wants: a global warming podcast.
1: Well, we have. I mean, Alpha Centauri had global warming, and Civ has global warming. I mean, Sid Meyer wouldn't lie to me.
2: No, he wouldn't, but he would play a train game with
1: you. He would play a train game with me. he played a tra- train game with Tom, wouldn't play a train game with me. Oh,
3: that's right, Tom, you're the one,
1: yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, Sim Earth is probably the most s- hard science strategy game I can think of, uh, which actually tried to impart scientific principles and encouraged experimentation and observation. It
3: Laffer- no, pardon? It didn't have a laughter curve,
1: so therefore... No laughter curve in science. That's voodoo economics.
3: You, do, oh, so do we have a? So is there is there a difference
0: <laughs> between what?
3: I don't know. I thought economic science was science.
0: Why what? are you guys talking about Leisure Suit Larry? Laughter <laughs> <laughs> laugh curve. What?
1: Yeah. You're a child of the Reagan Revolution, Tom. You understand the laughter curve. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, let's go back to the global warming thing. I'm, I'm sure we we should have a we should vote in the comment section. Who thinks Bruce is wacky, and uh, who who's on Al Gore's side? So uh, there will be a poll at those the bottom. Th- of the those podcast. are your two choices. <laughs> Do I have to be on Al those Gore's side? <laughs> I don't know. I saw Inconvenient Truth. Uh, so I don't know. I think everyone should see that. Bruce, you need to see that movie. I did. And Avatar, while you're at it, by the way. Yes.
3: Actually, I I really wish I could live in the world of Avatar, and I've been posting a lot about that to uh, various message
0: boards. (laughs) Make you more sensitive to global warming.
3: That's a big big issue. That's a big social issue of our times, is all the people that wish they could live in Avatar. Right? Oh, yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Isn't it true?
1: Come on. I have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about now.
3: Isn't it true? Come on. People have to write in and tell Troy about that. If, if you if you're listening to this, uh, send Troy an email or post to the best to, port, to post to uh, uh, Flash of Steel about how people
0: wish they lived in Avatar. Okay, thank you. First of all, it's called Pandora. Avatar is the movie. Pandora is the place. Uh, Thomas making his face blue right now. Do you know the name of the natives of Pandora, Bruce? The pop uh, pop culture test for you.
3: Gulliputians. <laughs>
0: Okay, we'll accept that. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, so any final words? Can we go back to talking about Bioshock 2, which has strategic elements?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> we cannot we, talk about Bioshock do? 2. We know you love Bioshock 2.
0: We're going to do Tom versus Bruce versus Troy of Bioshock 2. It has multiplayer. That the the camera awesome. is in multiplayer, by the way. Here's the here's how the, the, the idea that science is observation. They actually put that in... Multiplayer and the multiplayer is just a shooter. So here's how you put science in a shooter, you know, like Quake or something. When you kill someone and you then take a picture of their body, when they have respawned, you get a damage bonus against them because you have observed them and presumably have a scientific advantage over them in a one-to-one gun battle. That's
2: true. That's how it really works.
0: D- didn't That's they how have Darwin have-
2: discovered evolution? Right?
0: <laughs> didn't as Ex have science? Uh,
2: I don't Just know. scientists. I don't know. So there's a
0: Doom 2 RPG on the iPhone now. It's a DS game, and you can play. One of the classes is scientist. There well, there go. we
3: go. Also, this uh, discussion would be complete if we didn't mention that uh, Old Man Murray has established that all uh, uh, scientists have to wear unitards in uh, first-person shooter games.
0: Unitards? What? Yes. What's scientist? They wear lab coats. What are you talking about? Scientists wearing unitards?
3: They, they wear the science unitard. It's well documented.
0: I'm not
1: familiar well, with. Well, we'll have to do look, research. Look that up. Do some do some yeah. research on it. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, we're looking for the love letter to Sister Miriam, which yes look sounds up, it'll be, if fascinating. I like,
3: the the podcast.
1: If I can find it. I certainly will link to it. Uh, a note to listeners: uh, once again, we have the. Uh, first year anniversary show coming up, episode 53, that's two episodes from now. I'm getting suggestions of clips that people want to hear for the show. Uh, please write in with, uh, comments on your favorite guests, favorite moments, and I'll see what I can compile that doesn't make the show obscenely long. Uh, Clips that
3: people want to hear? What does that mean?
1: They want to hear sad, they want to hear the best of Bruce. Oh, Perfect. Uh, Readers, a flash of steel. There is a redesign coming. I've seen uh, models, seen mock-ups of the work that is being done on the site. Uh, Brand new banner, uh, more clean looking lines. Uh, I am aesthetically and uh, technically incompetent, but I have some smart people working for me. It all looks great, and that will be coming probably towards the end of this week or early next, so stay tuned for that. Any final words, guys? Yes, I
3: can't believe that Tom doesn't know the difference between running into a dead end and running out of gas. Also, Tom, your cat's hungry. Give him some cheddar cheese.
1: <laughs> cheddar cheese? Is that good for a cat? Well documented. You say all these things are well documented, and I wonder where you're getting these documents.
3: Recently opened KGB Archives.
1: <laughs> there we have it, then. All right, say goodnight, everyone.
0: Bye, all. Goodnight. Good night, gamers.